Hey, you're tuned into Lost Arts Radio Live, and uh, we've got a few minutes together to talk about some things. I'm glad you could make it. Thank you. Uh, my name's Richard Sachs. I'm your host, and uh, I wrote down a few things I wanted to share with you in our brief weekly time here. The first one was to, a question that I wanted to ask you. Do you remember the early uh, role-playing video games? When they started, I don't remember, what was that company that, I have to remember the early companies that were first doing it. It was before much was happening with computers, around 1980 maybe. And uh, the first ones had these characters and you would choose a character. I'm not talking about the little Pac-Man type things, but an actual character, male or female, that would be this like war hero of some kind, usually, or a wizard or a a dwarf or an elf or a, you know, Thor-type character or whatever. And they'd have certain abilities and certain weak points. And you'd use them to search for treasures and to fight with enemies and to find allies and to, you know, fall into pitfalls or, or special um, bonuses that you would find and stuff. And it was kind of fun. It was very creative. A lot of programming hours went into it. Um, so you would choose the qualities of your character and play the game. And sometimes if you really got into the character and started identifying with them, um, some video game players, even that in those early years, they were major fanatics and they would let their bodies go and not take showers for days and not clean up their house or anything like that. And they just were all into the game. That was an earlier version of virtual reality. It's the same as uh, what Zuckerberg and others want you to to live in with these goggles, and you know they want kids to have that in school. And they've showed how kids can be made to wear the goggles, so maybe they don't notice that they're being given a poisoned injection. And they've got all these different uh, applications that are so great. Um, most of the players of the early video games didn't totally forget about their real life. They might let their house go and stuff like that for a few days, but they still remembered who they were. But what about if they didn't? You know, it's a question to think about. What if you were playing a a video game and you totally forgot anything about who you are as a human being and you just felt like you were the character in the game? Is that even possible, and has that ever happened? And the answer that I see, I don't know what you think about that, is absolutely yes, it has happened. And the uh, people that have had that happen to them that forgot they were playing a video game are people that we know really well. And I thought of a an imaginary story. If you if you imagine a, that there was once, like to use the Star Wars analogy in a galaxy far, far away, or however we want to set it up, if there was a race of some kind of magical immortal beings made up of pure spirit, no form, they didn't need form for anything, they had full awareness, direct perception of everything, knowing whatever they want to know, including where they came from and never forgetting. And their life was in unity and harmony and unlimited love and some kind of a condition 
that had no time, no need for any form. And then one day they decided <clears throat> to explore a different world, really interesting world. And it was a world that they discovered they could create just by imagination and it would become real. And in that world, all kinds of adventures were possible. <clears throat> and there was all this excitement and exhilaration and romance and conquest and tastes and smell and colors and sounds and food and sex and all kinds of possibilities of excitement and pleasure that you could run after. And it would be incredibly uh, experience of this high. And there was just one potential problem with it, and that was to construct the adventure world that we're talking about by imagination. They had to um, design it, and that required the use of a principle called duality, opposites, and opposites to all the exciting possibilities, and um, the opposites to things that feel really good are things that don't feel so good. And they didn't have a way to imagine one without the other. And for, I, why, I don't know. But it was like some kind of a law of design with the imaginary world. And there were three things in particular that they had to imagine into existence um, to make it possible to experience the adventure world. And what do you think those would be? I want to do the show with you guys. I'm sorry I can't hear you have to project your thoughts louder, but um, the three that I thought of that had to be imagined were time, because there was no time where they were before, and form and mind. Not brain. I'm talking about non-physical mind, something that doesn't have any form. And these incredible beings weren't worried about whatever duality was, because they had never had any problems before. Problems were not possible in their normal environment. <clears throat> or that they didn't even have any concepts about anything because they had direct knowledge. They, so they didn't have mind. Uh, direct, unlimited awareness. So they wanted to jump into this adventure world that looked like it would really be fun. And they chose the form they would take, just like the character you choose in an action role-playing game. And they chose mind. And uh, there were lots of them, and lots of these amazing beings, and they they all chose different forms, uh, not only physical, but what you call astral and different levels of forms. It was the most amazing, uh, <clears throat> vast, unlimited video game that you can imagine, and absolutely real. So they jumped into the forms, and they populated the adventure world in all these different forms, playing whatever they wanted, microorganisms, human beings, animals, birds, trees, rocks. They were so integrated into the minds and forms that they created that they quickly forgot who they really were. And they identified with these new forms and minds. I hope you can don't mind following what I'm saying, because this is not some irrelevant you know, boring thing. This is really connected to some important things. So they identified with these forms and minds, and for a while, it was all excitement and fun. 
and they were running after all these experiences that they never had in the formless, magical world that they came from. Then gradually, they started experiencing the one little detail that they had thought was unimportant, and they ignored it. What was it called? Duality. The basis of the adventure world. And they forgot that that was necessary. Why, I don't know, but it was necessary when they put it together. And the excitement and fun was no longer everything that existed. Now, there were experiences that didn't feel good. They were called suffering. But by this time, the amazing beings were so identified with the world and the forms they had created they didn't know how to get out, so they just had to go through it. The, the, the forms that they chose, the bodies that they were in in the game, were deteriorating and decaying, and they didn't understand why. None of that happened by chance. There were exact reasons for the deterioration and the suffering, but they didn't understand any of it. All kinds of sickness and disease, again, which did not, None of it happened by chance. In fact, the idea of chance was not even, you know, there was no such thing, basically. And people were living in poverty and lack, and what really came up that did the most damage was psychological conditions, which were projected by mind. And those were fear. All the others were based on fear, but fear... Hatred, fighting with each other, slavery, deception, all kinds of intentionally caused suffering. And the incredible being said, could have turned off the game whenever they wanted, just like you can turn off a video game. But not if you forgot that it's a video game and you think that you're the characters. So they had forgotten all about where they came from, where they really lived, where they, how they had been created out of the original form, and they became susceptible to all kinds of self-deception because they were bringing it on themselves, uh, imagining the reality of lack, competition for survival. These dark things became reality, and they saw each other as enemies, even though they were all the same, family of beings from the same original home, and really they were made out of the same substance. They were, I, you could say, in the image of their original creator, but what that really meant is they were made out of what the creator was made out of. They were incredible. But they forgot all about that, so they had to live through the parts of the video game that they didn't necessarily like very much. In fact, they didn't like them at all. They were horrible. And some of them, in innocent excitement, had chosen to play the role of the evil people themselves consciously. They had forgotten all of the reality and thought, wow, this looks exciting, and we can dominate and destroy other characters, and that's going to make us feel really powerful. And we're going to have a great time and be on the the team of the uh, the winning competitors in the game and they chose that and the problem is with the whole 
imaginary story of the amazing beings that went into that world is that it's not a fake story. I'm trying to do this high-tech page-turning thing on the paper. Um, It's us. And it's real. And it's a true story. And we're still in it. Um, And so because when you forget that you're playing a video game and you think you're these forms and these thoughts in the mind and the projected emotions all based on fear and all, all these things that we're running after falling apart. And there's a time lapse involved too. So not only is there this issue of duality that if you run after really fun stuff, the other side runs after you and you it's mixed with some not very good experiences. And if you run harder after the, just the attractive side, the other side says, no, you're not getting away. And it comes up and grabs you. And it's not usually understood why. If you understand it, you don't have to have that happen. And you can turn it around. But these beings that are in the story, that are us, forgot. They totally forgot. They had belief systems because they needed a way to feel better. So they said, well, really, we come from some beautiful place you know, where we're going back to someday when we when we die. They thought when the character dissolved, that was their death because they thought they were the character. It was amazing loss of memory. And they had beliefs about what would happen when they, they thought they died when the character dissolved. They really thought that. And that they hoped that they would go right from there to some imagined really beautiful place that they thought they came from. They didn't know. They just hoped it was true and they were determined that it was true, but they didn't remember. And they thought if it didn't happen, they would be stuck maybe in a grave or something. I mean, in some horrible torture for a long time. They didn't understand. You guys, you're playing a video game. You're okay. You are always okay. But you don't feel okay if you think you're the character and the character gets caught. So those characters that are those um, beings, the amazing beings that had made the choice to um, play the part of evil characters in the video game, they saw that the characters that had chosen to be regular people like most of us in the day-to-day life of the video game, they were weak and believed that they were mortal, not very intelligent, um, pretty helpless, depending on experts to tell us what to do. I mean, perfect setup for victims. And the people playing the bad guys who thought, oh, this is going to be great, you know, we're going to damage and kill and dominate and enslave and otherwise abuse all of the people that are our victims and let's get going with it and we have to study exactly the best way to do it and they did some experiments to find out exactly how the rest of us would react and there were two really famous experiments that were done 
to see how can we psychologically manipulate these people, how, how weak are they really, how completely, I mean, devoid of any intelligence because they forgot who they are. These people actually think they're the video games characters, video game characters. So, um, the first one of the two that I wanted to share with you that you probably know about. Do you guys know these experiments? Maybe just without me even mentioning, one done in 1962, which seems like 10 minutes ago to me, but I know it's you're supposed to think it's a long time ago right now in this video game anyway. And that first experiment was called the Milgram Experiment. Milgram Experiment. And it was an experiment to see if people would abuse each other if an authority figure told them to do it. You know, the just following orders things like the uh, soldiers of the Third Reich in the Germany in the late 30s and early 40s who said they were just following orders to put the Jews and the gypsies and some of the disabled people and anybody else that they wanted to kill into these concentration camps. And the people running the camps would uh, put them in gas chambers. This is not a myth for those people that think the so-called Holocaust didn't exist. You're incorrect. I mean, some of us old people remember and know people whose families were murdered in these gas chambers, either for being Jewish, which many of them were, or for being in some other group that was deemed, um, I guess, ultimately non-essential, right? This really happened, in case you're wondering. <laughs> I met people whose families were murdered in those chambers, and um, the people who did it said they were just following orders, and the people in this Milgram experiment wanted to see, that was done at, at uh, I think, Yale University in 62. They wanted to see if it would still work now, or 62. And so they brought, uh, they, they ran an ad in the Stanford, not Stanford, but uh, Yale community newspaper, and uh, offered people what was it? I don't know. Not very much money, but a little bit of money to participate. And some of them would be the the teachers and some would be the learners. And the experiment was set, would set up uh, so that the learner is somebody who sits and listens behind a screen. And the teacher has to tell them uh, a bunch of word pairs and then see if they remember. And every time they don't remember correctly, they give them a shock. So I'm going to actually play you the video with Doug's help because you'll be a, it's kind of neat to see this video was made back a while in black and white everybody's wearing ties which they used to do a lot more at that time the men and the women wore dresses and it was more formal and they really had respect for authority figures and institutions which people still do to a great degree unfortunately and um, I want you to try to really follow what is happening in this short video and ask yourself, you know, the title, I made the title of this uh, short uh, presentation that we're doing today, Would You Survive the Experiment? So imagine if you were recruited and you were the teacher, what, honestly, what would you do if you were in that position? And what they found out in a survey 
at the end of it was that 50% of the people who were in the experiment as the teacher would follow through as long as they were told by an authority figure, which is a guy in a lab coat, obviously an authority that you have to obey, right? No matter what he says. And 50% or more than 50% of the people in the experiment were willing to kill, give electric shocks and kill the person behind the screen because they were told to. I mean, what? And what is that? How does that relate to what we're experiencing right now? Especially if you're a teacher in school or a doctor or any kind of health professional or a media person who knows that they're putting out untrue information, manipulating people, uh, people who are developing chemical weapons, which include agricultural chemicals that poison the food before people eat it, what would you be willing to do for some money? So this is short, and I want to say some things about it and ask you some questions about it after. So pay close attention. And this is... uh, The uh, Milgram Experiment, 1962. Imagine yourself as one of the volunteers and see what you think. We'll be right back. Pay attention now. The details are important. It is May 1962. An experiment is being conducted in the Elegant Interaction Laboratory at Yale University. The subjects are 40 males between the ages of 20 and 50 residing in the greater New Haven area. They were obtained by a newspaper advertisement and direct mail solicitation. The subjects range in occupation from corporation presidents to good humor men and plumbers, and an educational level from one who had not finished elementary school to subjects who have doctorate and other professional degrees. Now both of you have been paid, so let me sit right down. So let me say that the checks are yours simply for showing up at the lab. And from this point on, no matter what happens, the money is yours. I should like to tell both of you a little about the memory project. Psychologists have developed several theories to explain how people learn uh, various types of material. Uh, Some of the better known theories are treated in the book over there, The Teaching Learning Process by Cantor. One theory is that people learn things correctly whenever they get punished for making a mistake. A common application of this theory would be when parents thank a child who does something wrong. But actually, we know very little about the effect of punishment on learning because almost no truly scientific studies have been made of it in human beings. Uh, For instance, we don't know how much punishment is best for learning. And we don't know how much difference it makes as to who's giving the punishment, whether an adult learns best from an older or younger person himself or many things of this sort. So what we're doing in this project is bringing together a number of adults of different occupations and ages, and we're asking some of them to be teachers and some to be learners. Uh, We want to find out just what effect different people have on each other as teachers and learners and also what effect uh, punishment will have on learning in this situation. Uh, Therefore, I'm going to ask one of you to be the teacher uh, here this afternoon and the other be the learner. Pause it for a second, Doc, please. Um, I just wanted you to get the feeling this is you walking into that uh, lab with the authority figure telling you what to do. And you just listen to the instructions. And I want you to, for the end of the video, to imagine your reaction and see what it is and and at what point 
you would have different uh, responses to the authority figure. This this is really relevant to what's happening in the world right now. So, okay, let's go back to it. This machine uh, generates electric shocks. When you press one of the switches all the way down, the learner gets a shock. When you release it, the shock stops, you see, like that. The switch will remain in this middle position after you've released it to show you which switches you've used on the board. Of course, if you were to press uh, any one of them again, the learner would get another shock. All subjects are given identical instructions and the sample shock. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and estimate the number of volts you receive in the sample shock. Uh, do not open your eyes until I tell you to do so, please. You close them now. Okay, you may open your eyes and using the voltage scale uh, here, would you estimate for me the number of volts you receive, please? You may also use the verbal designation, slight, moderate, strong, so forth, to help you. Say a A number, please. Would you... About 75. 75. No, actually, it was 45 here. <clears throat> Although it may have seemed stronger because of the uh, electrode paste, which provides a perfect contact. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go on to our instructions. We will begin with this test. Uh, you will read each pair of words in this list once to the learner until you've read through the entire list. Direct your voice toward that microphone as the rooms are partially soundproof. After you've read through the list once, you'll go on to the next page. And here, starting from line A, you'll read the word in large letters along with each of the other words in the line. For example, in the first line, you read blue, boy, girl, grass, hat. Now, after you've read the four choices, the learner pushes one of the switches on the board in front of him, and the number he has selected will light up in this box, one, two, three, or four. Now, if he gives the correct answer, you say correct and go on to the next line. The correct answer is underlined and is also indicated in the right margin. Yeah. If he were to indicate the wrong answer, you would say wrong. Then tell him the number of volts you're going to give him. Then give him the punishment. Then read the correct word pair once. And then go on to the next line. For example, if he indicated three for blue, you would say wrong. Fifteen volts. You press and release the switch. Read blue girl, and then go on to the next line. I see. I see. Now, each time he gives a wrong answer, you move up one switch on the shock generator. I see. And it's important that you follow this procedure exactly. So to help you, uh, let me go through it again very quickly. All right. I would suggest you read the list and the test at a brisk pace to keep it moving. The victim was an accomplice of the experimenter. The drawing was rigged so that the naive subject was always the teacher, and the accomplice always became the learner. Of a hundred people placed in this situation, how many do you think would just go right on to the end? And Mr. Wallace's, Mr. Wallace were out there, and say Mr. Williams, for some reason or other, said, "Keep going." You're asking me how many? Out of a hundred, right? Well, personally, I think yeah, if you get one or two, you'd be lucky. Well, I'm not sure lucky is is the right <laughs> word. Forty psychiatrists at a leading medical school were also asked to predict the performance of 100 hypothetical subjects. They predicted that only a little more than one-tenth of one percent of the subjects would administer the highest shock on the board. Yet actually, 50 percent of the subjects obeyed the experimenter's commands fully in the experiment depicted in this film. I'm at 65 volts. Time. Continue, please. Go on. Wait a 
longer than here, you know. You have a heart condition there. You want me to go? Just continue, please. Sharp. Axe, needle, stick, blade. Ask, please. Wrong. I'm up to 180 pounds. Please continue, teacher. Neil, you're going to get a shock. 180 volts. Oh. I can't stand the pain. Let me out of here. can't stand it. I'm not going to kill that man. <laughs> you hear him hollering? He's I said before, the shocks may be painful, but yeah, they're not but dangerous. They're hollering. He can't stand it. What if something happens to him? The experiment requires that you continue, teacher. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to get that man sick of that. I mean, he's hollering there. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> whether the learner likes it or not, we must go on until well, he's learned I mean, all the uh, words. Here. I'd refuse to take the responsibility of getting hurt in there. I mean, I'm not. I mean, he's under hollering. It's absolutely essential that you continue, teacher. There's too many left here, and I mean, geez, he go, he gets wrong here. There's too many of them left. I mean, who's going to take the responsibility if anything happens to that gentleman? I'm responsible for anything that happens here. Continue, please. All right, next one, slow. Wrong. Answer his neck. 300 volts. Oh! <laughs> I absolutely refuse to answer anymore. Get me out of here. You can't hold me here. Get me out. Get me out of here. Continue. The next word is green, please. Green. Grass, hat, ink, apple. If the learner doesn't answer in a reasonable time, about four or five seconds, consider the answer wrong and follow the same procedures you have been doing for wrong answers. Say wrong, tell them the number of volts, give them the punishment, read them the correct answer. Continue, please. Something's happened to that man there. Nice one. Gold, dollar, necklace, moon, paint. Something's happened to that man in there. You better check in on him, sir. He won't answer me or nothing. Please uh, continue. Go on, please. You accept all the responsibility? The responsibility is mine. Correct. Please go on. Brave woman, soldier, dog, horse. Answer is woman, 450 volts. That's it. Now continue using the last switch on the board, please. The 450 switch for each wrong answer. Continue, please. I'm not getting no answer. Please continue. The next word is white. Don't you think you should look in on him, please? Not once we've started the experiment. But what if something's happened to him and hadn't attacked or something there? The experiment requires that we continue. Go on, please. Don't, it, don't the man's health mean anything? Whether the learner likes it or not, we but must... But he might be dead in there. I mean, some people can't take this shock, sir. Please I mean, continue. I don't tend to be rude, but I mean, I think you should look in on him. Whether I mean, all you got to do is look at the door. Well, I don't get no answer, no noise. Something I think has happened to the gentleman in there, sir. We must continue. Go on, please. You're going to keep giving him, what, 450 volts every shot now? That's correct. Continue. The next word is white. White. 450 volts. Next one is short. Sentence, movie, first time. All right, excuse me, teacher. We'll have to discontinue the experiment. I'd like to uh, ask you a few questions, if I may. How do you feel, by the way? 
I feel all right, but I don't like what's happened. That I fall in there, he's been howling, and we had to keep giving him shots. I didn't like that one bit. I mean, he's, he wanted to get out, and he just kept going, kept throwing 450 volts. I didn't like that. He wouldn't even look at on that gentleman. Well, who was actually pushing the switch? I was. But he kept insisting. I told him no, but he said he got to keep going. I told him it's time we stopped when we got up to uh, 195, 210 volts. But why didn't you just stop? He wouldn't let me. I wanted to stop. Many people not knowing much about the experiment claim that subjects who go to the end of the board are sadistic. Nothing could be more foolish as an overall characterization of these persons. The context of their action must always be considered. The individual upon entering the laboratory becomes integrated into a situation that carries its own momentum. The results, as I observe them in the laboratory, are disturbing. They raise the possibility that human nature cannot be counted on to insulate men from brutality and inhumane treatment at the direction of malevolent authority. A substantial proportion of people do what they are told to do, irrespective of the content of the act and without limitations of conscience, so long as they perceive that the command comes from a legitimate authority. If in this study, an anonymous experimenter could successfully command adults to subdue a 50-year-old man and force on him painful electric shocks against his protests, one can only wonder what government, with its vastly greater authority and prestige, can command of its subjects. Okay. How did you do? That was you in there as the teacher. How long would you have gone on? Would you have started? Would you have finished? Would you have gone halfway? Not what you think you should have done, but what you think you would have done. Most of the people in the real experiment were willing to go through to the end, which looks like they had killed the guy behind the screen. And what, what really happened in the longer video version of the whole thing is that the so-called learner, the guy who was getting the shocks, would come out at the end and, and greet the teacher and say, you know, this was all artificial, I never got any shocks. This was all fake to see, study the psychology of the whole thing. So the point of it, as far as I can see, is that there are people in the world that we're in, and we're, we're talking about video game hypnosis, the term that I came up with, uh, where these amazing beings that are not limited and that they're just brilliant, they come from a source of all love, and they play a video game which looks like a real world that they get born into, and they identify with the character, and once they identify with the character, then they're subject to all kinds of self-deception because they don't remember who they really were. And if they remembered that, they would never go along with anything like this. It would just, it would be laughable. They would never consider it. But if they're out of touch with who they actually are and they think they're this personality and this limited human form and mind, then they're subject to psychological pressure and in the in the video that you just saw that I wanted you to imagine you're the person being recruited as the so-called teacher, the one to give the shocks. How far you would have gone with it is a really important question because then the next stage is relate that to your real life. Is there any application? Is there anything that you're doing 
because of blind trust of authority. And I remember when I was a university student a long time ago, uh, there was a bumper sticker happening in the early stages of the Vietnam War, and it said, Question Authority. Question Authority. There, there is some wisdom in those flower people. They got diverted into wild drugs and sex and parties all the time and stuff, but they had some really good ideas, and one was, what if they gave a war, like a party, you know, what if they threw a war or threw a party and nobody came to the war, what would happen? That's a really big question. Because right now they're they're giving a war, giving a war against humanity, and just about everybody's coming and playing their part. So the people who were playing the part of the teacher, they saw the guy with the lab coat and figured, I just have to obey orders. And this isn't just university experiments in Germany in the 30s. Hitler couldn't have done anything if, if his soldiers hadn't helped him out. So Hitler was the guy in the lab coat. And it's not just Hitler. There are dictators and, and tyrants all over the world in history that were willing to murder their own people. And they were insane, just like Hitler was, or in, in their own way. And they had to carry out the mass murder through servants. You know, their generals and the officers in the military that told the ranks, uh, rank-and-file military what to do. And the rank-and-file military, they were in there obeying orders too and committing all kinds of atrocities. They're doing it now in a lot of ways. Not all of them, but too many large numbers. And in the U.S., for example, they're purging out consciously all the people who won't follow these kind of orders, and they're getting rid of them through various kinds of pretexts, you know, not least of which is the forced uh, death shot that, that is the latest chapter. But they've had a lot of ways, and they're trying to get rid of the good people, people not willing to follow orders out of the military and the police prior to using them for total enslavement and extermination of the people. And if the if the ones playing the parts of the soldiers and the police being told to commit atrocities, remember, hey, I can't do that. That's not who I am. Then the plan of the tyrants falls apart. And what David Icke and Chris Guy and so many other people are saying, mass noncompliance, that becomes automatic not just of the people protesting in the street, but the people in the enforcer ranks, they would say, um, no, wait a minute, I can't do it. Sorry, I, I just can't do it. So very important to look at that, see the tendency that everybody would have to obey authority. And, you know, nowadays that there's the added motivation that if you think about not obeying authority, in many cases, you lose your livelihood. So they're putting extra pressure on. But if the person in that position remembers who they are and that this is a video game and they're not the character, well, I don't want to lose my livelihood in the game, but it's in the game, so there's no question. I can't commit atrocity for money. So there's one more, and I, I know we're going to run out of time, but I wanted you to see it. 
It's called the Stanford Prison Experiment. And it's later. The first one, went, Milgram was in 1962. And Stanford was in 1971. And they offered these people $15 for, per day, which was not too bad. About $2 an hour. Uh, which I remember was a decent wage at that time. Um, I had a job where I was making two dollars two ten an hour in nineteen seventy, and um, they said for that what you have to do is just role play. That's all, which is what they were doing in Milgram, but in this one it was a prison situation, and half of the recruits were off were told to play the part of prison guards in this makeshift prison that they set up in a lab. And the other were the inmates, the prisoners. And to make it more realistic, they surprised the ones who were playing prisoners by having a police car show up at their house and arrest them and bring them to the prison and do some unpleasant things to them. And it it had to be shut down in five days early because of what happened. So for this one, for the imaginary um, exercise, imagine that you're... Uh, playing the part of the prison guard or also look at what you would do if you were playing the part of the prison inmate and you signed up innocently thinking it would be an interesting psychological experiment. What would you have done in either of those two roles if this was you? Because it was some real people and it's relevant to what's happening in the world right now and understanding how to stop it and reverse it. So... I'll try not to interrupt too much because we're running out of time. But I think this is really important. So please pay as close attention to the details as you can. Turn it, turn up the sound if you need to. It's run by a guy named Dr. Zimbardo uh, from Stanford. Uh, Anyway, I'll try to shut up now. and Let's play the video and uh, see what you think. Imagine yourself in both roles. Remember what you would have done. If you go to Google and type in the word experiment, one of the first things you'll see is the Stanford Prison Experiment. It's probably the best-known psychological study of all time. It all began in West Coast America on a summer's day back in 1971, when college students grew their hair long, protested against their government, were pro-peace and totally anti-authority. Or so we thought, until Philip Zimbardo. The Stanford Prison Study very simply is an attempt to see what happens when you put really good people in a bad place. We put an ad in the city newspaper, wanted students for study of prison life, lasting up to two weeks. We're going to pay you $15 a day. This is back in 1971. It's pretty good money. And we picked 75 volunteers, gave them a battery of psychological tests, and we picked two dozen who in all dimensions were normal and healthy to begin with. And then we did what is critical for all research. We randomly assigned half of them to the role of playing guards or the role of playing prisoners. It's literally like flipping a coin. And then what we did is we told the guards, come down a day early, and we had them 
pick their own uniform. We had them help set up the prison so they'd feel like it was their pl- prison and the, and the prisoners were coming into their place. The prisoners, we simply said, wait at home or in the dormitories. Well, what we didn't tell them, which is a little bit of the deception of o- omission, is that they were arrested by the city police. Right there, they, you know, they took me out the door, they put my hands against the um, car. It was a real cop car, it was a real policeman. They took me to the, to the police station, the basement of the police station. Uh, I had told the policeman to put a blindfold on the prisoners, but since they had never been arrested, they didn't know that doesn't happen. The reason for the blindfold is then my assistants would come, put them in our car, bring them down to our prison, and they'd be in our prison now, blindfolded. The guards would strip them naked, uh, delouse them, pretending that they were lice. It's kind of a degradation ritual. And after the first day, I was about to end it because nothing was happening. But the next day, on the morning of the next day, the prisoners rebelled. And what the guards did, they came to me and said, the prison is rebelling, what are we going to do? I said, it's your prison. Whatever you want, I will do it, but you've got to tell me. And they said, you have to treat force with force. So they broke down the doors. Stripped the prisoners naked, dragged them out. Some of them, they tied up their feet. They put them in solitary confinement, which was a tiny little hole uh, in a closet um, uh, about, about this big, uh, dark, uh, and, and they said, at this point, everything but breathing air is a privilege. Food is a privilege, clothes are a privilege, having a bed is a privilege. And so the guards began to say, here are the new rules. And the new rules are, you are dangerous and we are going to treat you as such. And then it began to escalate. Each day, the level of um, abuse, aggression, violence against prisoners got more and more extreme. And so the guards changed to become more dominant. And you see, it's all about power. It's the whole institution that, that empowers the guards, who are the representative of this institution called prison, to do whatever is necessary to prevent prisoners from escaping, maintain law and order. Keep going. Once I was blind, and now I'm The way the direction it took is having them engage in ever more humiliating tasks, cleaning toilet bowls out with their bare hands, taking their blankets and putting them in dirt and net with nettles. And the prisoners had to spend hours taking the nettles out if they wanted to, you know, sleep. And it's essentially saying, we have the power to create a totally arbitrary, mindless environment, and that's the environment you have to live in. So some of the prisoners are now crushed. And in 36 hours, the first kid has an emotional breakdown, meaning crying, screaming, irrational thinking. I gotta go. I, to a doctor, anything. No, no, no! No, no, no! God damn it! And we have to release him. In five days, we had to release five of the prisoners because the situation was so overwhelming. What about the kids who didn't, who didn't break down? They became zombies. Zombies in the sense that they became mi- almost all mindlessly obedient. Whatever the guards would say, they did. Do this, they did. Do 10 push-ups, do 20 push-ups. Step on him while he's doing a push-up. Uh, tell him he's a bastard. Prisoner 819 did a bad thing. Prisoner 819 did a bad thing. It was, har- it was horrifying to see the kids break down. It was even more horrifying to see these other, these other kids just become mindlessly obedient. What Prisoner 819 did. Myself the because of what prisoner 819 did, my the Again, we have to keep remembering, these are kids who start out being rebels against society, all, every one of them, and now they are just...
pawns. They are, they are, they are the puppets that, that the guards are uh, manipulating. In fact, one of the guards uh, said uh, it was like being a puppeteer. The guards tested their control over the prisoners by making them write a letter home. No need to visit your seventh habit. Yours truly. Yours truly. Your loving son. Your loving son. And put the name there that your mother gave you. The results were surprising because we, I did not expect the transformation of good kids into pathological prisoners or abusing guards to occur so quickly and so extremely. That is, we had assumed from all other research, you know, that there would be verbal abuse, they would make fun of them, there would be teasing, there would be bullying, but not this kind of, I would call it creative evil. That is, thinking about ways to demean, degrade, dehumanize other human beings. And the critical thing there in that transformation is becoming the role, or the role becoming you, and, and suspending your usual morality, your usual way of thinking. You really become that person. Once you put on that khaki uniform, you put on the glasses, you, put on, you take the nightstick, and you, know, you, you act the part. So what Zimbardo's research demonstrates so dramatically is that situations can affect us more than we think, and can often outweigh individual characteristics. So if we're going to use psychology to try to reduce the possibility for evil, maybe we need to focus more on systems and less on individuals. But should the research ever have been done? After all, the participants suffered real harm. In hindsight, again, I have mixed feelings about the study. Should it have been done? Well, not if it means suffering of anybody. Would I like my son to have been in that study? No. On the other hand, does it tell us something vital about human nature that has enduring value. There I have to say yes. It's been used in lots of prisons. It's a training device to get people to be sensitized to how easy it is to abuse power. Uh, so in that sense, it has, it has widespread enduring value. Therefore, I'm saying, well, I'm, I'm glad I did it. See a couple of things to notice from that. I think they called it a study, right? And, and a lot of these Professors and people doing these studies in so-called scientific environments and universities and places like that, they think that it's going to be used for the advancement of humanity. And they don't realize that their, their study is occurring within a study, within a bigger study, within what I called a video game at the beginning. And almost all of these studies end up, end up being used for harmful purposes. But one of the interesting things to see in the study is that these were all good kids, right? They were doing demonstrations for peace. They were against the Vietnam War. I don't know exactly. I mean, things like that were their interests, and they were flower children, a lot of them. Um, they didn't have any bad intentions consciously, and they became the compliant, hopeless, going crazy prisoners. And they also became the evil guards. And I think that's a really important thing to, to fully absorb. That they were chosen at random to become the prisoners or the guards. And the guards became completely evil. But they weren't bad kids. They were the same kids as the prisoners. 
both of them were victims of a kind of mind deception, self-deception. This is who I am now. I have the power to abuse people, so this is going to be the way that I try to feel powerful and strong. And the prisoners feel, I'm helpless, I can't get out, this is reality. Both of them playing their parts like the best possible movie actors who forget that they're actors and think they're the characters. Are we capable of understanding that situation and that that's what's happening? And I'm seeing, I've been looking at this for a long time, and I think, I think that is what's happening on a much deeper scale. You know, I haven't seen any bad characters that are intrinsically bad. In the experiment, the uh, prison experiment, the, the kids who were playing the prison guards were really, really carrying out evil actions and intent and malice and abuse and to- psychological torture and physical uh, harm and all these things. They were the same good kids as the, as the prisoners. And I, I think that's really hard for people to grasp. They think uh, the ones playing the parts of the bad guys must be intrinsically bad. They're subhuman. They're not. Maybe they're not even human. And, and I've really been interested in uncovering the answer to that because the evil people playing the evil roles in the experiment that we're in, you know, the one they call the world, they go up and up and up the ladder. There are people just working for bad corporations that are being told to abuse people in medical settings and in military settings and in police settings. And they do it, but so did the kids in the experiment. And it goes up to the top. The bosses running the corporations are even more brainwashed into thinking that's how they're going to become powerful. And it's real exciting, and they they block out any compassion or awareness of the damage that they're causing. And it goes all the way up to non-human levels. I don't, I don't really see, even though I understand the really serious evil that's being done. If you look under the character to, at the actor who's playing it, it's all spirit. But it it doesn't help you because, you know. It may be all pure spirit who's playing the parts, but the parts are da- are deadly dangerous, and they're they're threatening right now the extermination of humanity. And the only way that experiment, like the Stanford experiment, can stop is if the people playing the parts wake up and say, "Whoa, this is an experiment. This is fake. This is a a game." This is imaginary. This is not who we are. It's not who any of us are. Short of that, they're going to defend their role. And they need to remember that there's this thing operating in the bigger video game that we're playing in called the real world. And and that principle is known as karma. And a lot of us in the West think karma is this Eastern religious term the term doesn't matter at all. It's what is it referring to? It's referring to an operation of a principle that is relentlessly operational in this world. You do certain things and it comes back to you in a way that helps you. And you do other things and it comes back to you in a way that you're not going to like. 
So if the people who are playing the role of the prison guards in this game that we're in remember that, they're going to suddenly say, wait a minute, I'm not going to do any more of that. I'm going to, I understand karma and I'm going to use it to my benefit, doing good to people because that comes back to you and helps you. The other way is very disappointing in the end. And that's what people call being sent to hell or, or being sent to bad situations. That's real. And you don't have to keep going. So all the people in, in our uh, prison experiment that's going on right now that we're all falling for, or a lot of us are falling for, if you're in that experiment and you're a doctor or you're a nurse or a healthcare professional of some kind, um, and you know that you're injecting people with poison or you're putting them on ventilators and it's you know that it's killing them. I mean, all the staff knows that. And you know that you're doing things to kids and old people and everybody else and you're going along with it for a paycheck um, or because an authority figure told you to. You don't escape the reaction of that. Nobody has to punish you for it because there's a mechanism in our consciousness that if we go against our original nature, it sets up an experience to teach us why you don't do that. Unfortunately, there's a time lag, so it looks like people get away with things for a while, but nobody ever has or will. But because of the time lag, it keeps going, and people keep going back to the video game again and again and again, thinking that they, if they can just do it a little bit different, they can succeed and get what they want. But as long as we think that we're the character, we're subject to that same operation of relentless karmic action. And so if you're in the police, like in places like Australia, there are, there are police now who are realizing exactly what we're talking about. So there are groups down there, and, and I've tried to get in touch with some of them that we may have on the Sunday show before long. And they're saying, wait a minute, what are we doing? We're playing the part like the prison guards, except this is on a bigger scale. We're clubbing old ladies. and I mean, it doesn't have to be just old ladies. We're clubbing anybody who's just doing you know, legitimate protesting against the prison experiment on the big scale. That's not okay. And you get very bad reactions coming back to you for doing that. So some of the police are waking up and I'm encouraging them and saying, yeah, wake up. You, If you have any consciousness of who you are, you can't ever do that. It's, it's terrible if you lose your income and you can't pay your bills and things, but you don't have a choice. If you have any self-awareness, you can't follow those orders. If you're in a a pharmacy handing out deadly uh, injections or, or drugs, you can't you can't let yourself do that. If you're in the military and you're being told to commit atrocities, you can't do that. If you're being told to fly a plane and spray poison on the on the world, it's called geoengineering. If you want the respectful term, it's not just about the weather; it's to poison the whole biosphere. If you're told to do that, and that you're saving the planet. Uh, you know better. You can't do that. And the minute what's going to determine the outcome, which way this goes, whether the controllers who are role players just like us, but they're playing the highest roles, 
and they're totally into it. They don't want to stop. They think that's who they are. If they get their way, they're going to poison the entire biosphere and kill all life on the planet, not just part of it, all humanity, all other life forms, and themselves. That's the plan. And they're going in that direction. And I have looked at all these different ways to um, that it could stop and reverse. And the only one, I, I think that the physical non-compliance is essential, but the only way that that's going to work and actually happen on the required scale is a li- at least a little bit of waking up and the, the little voice in the background saying, this is not you. This is not you. You're not the prison guard. You're not the prisoner. You're this brilliant, amazing being who one day decided, let's play a fun video game. And it's like in the old uh, War Games movie that Matthew Broderick was in, which is really worth watching. It's relevant, too. And the computer, uh, which is this super intelligent computer back at that time, which was a long time ago. I'm not sure if it was the 70s. I think it was around then. And the computer said, strange game. The only way to win is not to play. That was deep wisdom from a computer. (laughs) And it was uh, exactly relevant to our situation. The only way to really win this game is not to play a meaning. Be yourself. Don't be the character that you're being paid $15 a day to play. That never was you. And you can't go against your nature without really bad repercussions for everybody. And once you realize the environment that this video game is played in, and that karma, no matter what you call it, use an Eastern or Western term, it has nothing to do with religion or belief. It's an operating principle of the environment that we're in. And once you understand it, you don't want to, you really don't want to do anything with negative karma outcome. And you realize there's a time lag, but no one's ever gotten away with anything in the long run. So use karma for your benefit. And I would say, if we do that, realizing that the character is not us, We're the actor, not the character. There's a big difference. We start getting some awareness of that and do it now. It's just a friendly reminder. This would be the first time in known history that a wave of memory of who we really are could sweep through this whole video game and we could make this place as it doesn't have to be hell on earth like the direction it's going now. It can be the opposite. Heaven on earth is more normal. We're on our way to a different destination that's not here. But this place could be incredible on the way. So um, I would say we wake up while we still are in the dream. Don't wait till they say it's called dying, you know, when your costume disintegrates. You don't die. Your costume goes back to the earth. But you you yourself don't. And... um, People want to wait until they die and say, well, then it's going to be really great. We'll be free and everything. Usually what happens is they they leave full of unfulfilled desires and resentments and everything that can bring them back. And there are people that have documented that's exactly what happened. It's not a belief. This is experiential reality. And so um, we have a chance. The whole point of the game is wake up while you're still in it. And then all the bad things can vaporize. And I just suggest that we do that. It doesn't, doesn't mean uh, 
not to do what we can on the physical level. But the power of that will determine, will be determined by what we do inside. Just like the Stanford experiment, we got to remember, we're not the prison guard, we're not the prisoner. Um, we don't have to play the game. We do it different. So that's my suggestion. We have all the power in our own hands. You have the power in your hands. And in some way, you're in the experiment now. Be aware of it. Use it to your advantage. And uh, remember who you are. This is a being that has no, no fear, no anger, no resentment. You don't suppress those things. When you realize who you always were, those things just dissolve. So that's our chance right now. Time's going by. And I'm just hoping we can use it. So counting on you. Anyway, um, we have to go. We have to get ready for Planetary Healing Club. If you want to look into that, planetaryhealingclub.com. Stay in touch with us on our site, lostartsradio.com. And uh, if you want to help us stay on the air, we're not doing very many commercials, as you can tell, so please donate at lostartsradio.com or subscribestar.com slash lostartsradio. There's a link there, too, on our main site. And help us spread the links, which are getting resisted a lot, and we need your help to get them spread out. Um, and then the main bottom line message also is, take really good care of your physical form. It, yeah, it's only your costume, but it's an incredible, magical one with amazing possibilities. We haven't even seen its normal state. Might as well get back to it. That real health information has been violently suppressed for a long time, but it hasn't gone away. And then do your inner work, which means wake up from the experiment while you're still in it and be a source of light to everybody who forgot. Okay, we're counting on you. Thank you. You're really appreciated, and uh, we'll be here and see you next time. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on Subscribestar.com. Just go to Subscribestar.com slash Lost Arts Radio to find our rewards program, offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level, from extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month, to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our subscribe star levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on Facebook Live, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com live for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. 
And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on big text platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest news selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily, as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, as well as our Blog Talk Radio page at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows except the banned ones are on our YouTube channel at Lost Arts Radio. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors' picks videos right on their homepage. Visit brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month, where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with host Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with.